Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good Risings. I'm Jackie. And I'm Brian. And this is Grateful Grains. This week, it's Let's Get Physical. We're getting specific about the ins and outs of maintaining a healthy body. And we're kicking it off today, focusing on our skin, nails, and hair. In 2020, the global beauty industry accounted for $483 billion in spending. That number is projected to reach $716 billion by 2025. The lion's share of that goes to hair and skin, then makeup, perfumes, and oral hygiene. We are eager to lather our faces, bodies, and hair with every new product that claims to reverse aging. But the real conversation is what's causing those early signs of aging in the first place. Because what we need to remember is our skin, nails, and hair are external representations of our inner health. Exactly. A lot of people who experience problematic skin, thinning hair, brittle nails, or early signs of aging immediately turn to topical treatments or even cosmetic surgery. There's nothing wrong with that. So long as we're taking the time to consider hormonal imbalances, we have to take a look at our levels of emotional stress and anxiety. We have to think about the environmental stressors and toxicity we're subject to. But the very first thing we need to examine is what we're putting into our bodies, what we're eating, and what we're drinking. Hydration is key on all fronts. When our bodies experience dehydration, our vital organs, like the brain, lungs, and liver, have first dibs on that ever-necessary moisture. Connective tissues like collagen, which is the primary connective tissue of the skin, is one of the first things to stop receiving water. And when collagen is inadequately hydrated, its strands begin to crack and adhere to one another, which leads to wrinkles on the skin's surface. It's like a grape becoming a raisin. And by the way, even if we're able to boost that collagen again, those cracks and wrinkles are often permanent. Keep in mind, water is also crucial to our body's detoxification process. So sure, dehydration can do some serious damage aesthetically, but we should also consider the thought that if our skin, nails, and hair are suffering, what might be happening internally? Again, our external health is a direct reflection of our internal health. As for food, we're looking at what foods impact our appearance, and we're looking at how nutrient deficiencies lead to hormonal imbalances, which can lead to thinning hair, problematic skin, and so on. What makes this conversation easy is the same foods that are good for our waistlines are good for our muscular health, are good for our brain health, are good for our gut health, are good for our skin, nails, hair, and teeth. Our body is an organism made up of several systems, and generally healthy for one is healthy for the other. So it really doesn't have to be complicated. The Institute for Functional Medicine, discussing the direct nutritional impacts on hormone signaling sensitivity, explains that 
An upregulation of cortisol release is associated with a Western pattern diet that includes increased amounts of refined carbohydrates and saturated fats and decreased amounts of fiber. Diet composition has also been suggested to influence pancreatic beta cell responsiveness and subsequent insulin sensitivity. A small study within the context of a weight-maintaining diet for women with polycystic ovary syndrome, PCOS, indicated that with a modest carbohydrate reduction, a decrease in beta cell response and an increase in insulin sensitivity could be induced. Put plainly, a diet low in fiber with increased refined carbs has a direct impact on stress hormone cortisol's levels and sensitivity within our bodies. Further, a reduction in refined carbohydrates leads to a decrease in pancreatic beta cell responsiveness and an increase in insulin sensitivity. It's a lot of wordy science to say that unhealthy foods cause imbalances due to hypersensitivity, reactivity, or dulling in our hormonal responses. And by the way, this has a direct impact on how we're feeling emotionally as well. Right, and that's just a few of the negative effects of an unhealthy diet on our hormones. So we're cutting refined carbs, we're avoiding any foods that increase inflammation, like sugars and fried foods, we're avoiding overeating by way of overly processed foods, and we're not adding to our toxic load with things like additives or pesticides. Now, let's quickly cover the good stuff. What foods have a positive effect on our skin, nails, and hair? I'm sure you can guess, it's the same foods that are good for our waistlines, our muscular health, our brain health, or our gut health, and so on. In terms of purpose, we're looking for foods that protect our skin from damaging free radicals. We're looking for antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, and foods that promote cellular turnover and reconstruction. This means we're looking for nutrient-dense foods, specifically omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin A, C, and E, zinc, quality protein, healthy fats, mono and polyunsaturated fats, iron, magnesium, lutein, lycopene, sulforaphane, and beta-carotene, which functions as pro-vitamin A and is a carotenoid, meaning it's a natural form of sunblock. Ideally, we want foods that check as many boxes as possible all at once. Some of the very best are fatty fish, dark leafy greens like kale and spinach, avocados, walnuts, sunflower seeds, sweet potatoes, red and yellow bell peppers, broccoli, tomatoes, dark chocolate, green tea, and extra virgin olive oil. It's a lot to remember, we get it. But the best part is, we really don't have to remember any of it. The simplest and healthiest adjustment we can make when it comes to living a healthier life across the board is switching to a whole food diet, which means avoiding everything pre-packaged and going straight for the foods that look exactly like what they are. We're cooking with whole ingredients and spices. Finally, as far as supplementation is concerned, we need anything that we're not getting enough of from our daily diet. A daily omega-3, C, and D, as well as biotin and lysine. Beyond that, we take collagen peptides, which can be found in grass-fed bone broth or a powder form like the ones from Vital Proteins. It doesn't have a taste, so I put a scoop in my coffee every morning. That also has a thorough amino acid profile. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Today, we're moving into the immune system. Obviously, illness has taken center stage. I think a lot of people are hyper aware of how certain respiratory illnesses spread through the air, through coughing or sneezing, sometimes, though rarely, from surfaces and so on. But there's a big conversation that is not being had. It's a little bit mind-blowing, actually, why we're not talking more about the general state of health. Not just in America, by the way, but worldwide. Yeah, we heard a lot about pre-existing health conditions exacerbating COVID and making people more susceptible to hospitalization. Some of those pre-existing conditions are genetic. Some of them aren't things we can solve with a few lifestyle changes, but most of them really are. The World Obesity Organization summarizes that systematic reviews and meta-analysis overwhelmingly show that obesity is associated both with a higher risk for intensive care admission and poorer outcomes for COVID-19. In the UK, a report flags that out of 10,465 patients critically ill with confirmed COVID-19, 73.7 were living with overweight or obesity. Meanwhile, a report from Italy suggests that 99% of deaths have been in patients with pre-existing conditions, including those which are commonly seen in people with obesity such as hypertension, cancer, diabetes, and heart diseases. Overweight and obesity also seem to be risk factors for worse outcomes in younger populations, meaning less than 60 years old. A body mass index between 30 and 34 being twice as likely to be admitted to ICU compared to individuals with a BMI under 30. Studies have also shown, by the way, that 80% are deficient in vitamin D. What we have to look at here is how excess weight, inflammation, a lack of nutrients, and low levels of certain vitamins impede our body's natural immune system. You know, it's very easy to lose track of ourselves. It's very easy to get caught up in the rat race. Before you know it, a couple drinks with friends every week or so becomes a drink or two alone every night. It's easy to become more complacent about fitness. And anxiety has become a pandemic of its own. With the wrong perspective, we feel like we're just too busy to pay attention to our own well-being. And what that ends up looking like is heart disease, obesity, diabetes, and cancer to name a few. Bad habits take a toll. We're setting ourselves up for failure. We're stacking the odds against our bodies and our immune responses get weaker and weaker. Illnesses become more and more common, more severe, and antigens of all kinds become a greater risk. Science unequivocally supports this point, but it's being categorically ignored. And that's a real travesty. So let's talk about a properly functioning immune system, and then let's quickly cover ways to support it. First of all, we have to recognize that we're surrounded by antigens. Antigens are any foreign substance that causes an immune reaction in our bodies. The three types of antigens include exogenous, which are foreign to the host's immune system, endogenous, which are produced by intracellular bacteria and a virus replicating inside a host cell, 
and finally autoantigens, which are produced by the host. These are the result of a sensitized immune system, which mounts an attack on the host. This is autoimmune disease. Our lymphatic system is made up of our tonsils, our lymph nodes, lymph vessels, thymus gland, and bone marrow. It's a vast network of vessels that collect excess fluids from tissues throughout our body, then returns them to our bloodstream. Many of our disease-fighting cells begin in our bone marrow, then mature in the thymus, and are stored in strategic locations like the tonsils, adenoids, and the pyre patches in the small intestines. An immune response happens when a foreign invader is detected. That's where the white blood cells come in. Natural killer cells target tumor cells and viruses, then insert a protein that destroys them. T cells destroy foreign or damaged cells, and B cells create the antibodies that remember how to kill the specific antigen. This is where our immunity comes in. This is why you only get chicken pox or mumps one time. Your body remembers how to kill it. Beyond the lymph system, our immune systems consist of our skin and mucous membranes, which are the first line of defense. Skin presents a physical barrier. The mucous membranes that line your natural openings release substances that create a hostile environment for the invaders and sometimes attack and destroy antigens directly. Supporting our immune system is first and foremost not suppressing our immune system. It looks a lot like being healthy across the board. We're leaning into our body's natural detoxification process by properly hydrating and getting quality sleep. We're keeping our toxic load low by avoiding pesticides and combating environmental toxins with antioxidants. We're subduing inflammation with fitness and a healthy diet, avoiding alcohol, fried foods, added sugars, and refined carbs. We're keeping our cortisol levels in check by working to decrease stress and anxiety through meditation and mindfulness. And we're supporting our immune function with foods rich in and with the supplementation of zinc, vitamin C, D, and E. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We're taking it to the heart. The heart is probably the very first organ that we learn about as children. We hear early on that it's the source of our emotions, like love and sadness. It's where we place our hands for the national anthem and the Pledge of Allegiance. And that double-humped symmetrical red cartoon is plastered everywhere during Valentine's Day. Then, as adults, it becomes a source of fear, heart disease being the leading cause of death for the last 90 years or so, with stroke and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease right behind it. Let's start where most left off. Let's get to know the structure of the heart itself. So. The heart is found at the center of our chest. It's about the size of our fists. It's underneath our sternum in a space called the thoracic compartment. The heart itself is comprised of four chambers and several valves that regulate the flow of blood throughout our bodies. The two chambers located at the top of the heart are called the atria, the left atrium and the right atrium. The left atrium receives oxygen-rich blood and the right receives oxygen-free blood. 
The valves between these chambers are called the atrioventricular valves. The tricuspid valve is on the left and the mitral valve is on the right. The other two chambers on the lower half of the heart are known as the ventricles, the left ventricle and the right ventricle. They pump oxygen-enriched blood into the body's organs and cells. Similar to the atria, the ventricle chambers are also separated by valves. These are called the semilunar valves. These are comprised of the pulmonary and aortic valves. The wall of the heart is three-layered. The outer layer, the epicardium, is thin. The middle layer, the myocardium, is thick, made up of cardiac muscle fibers. In the innermost layer, the endocardium, is another thin layer. Two types of blood vessels, veins and arteries, distribute blood throughout the body and back to the heart. The vessels that bring oxygen-free blood back into the heart are called veins. Those that bring oxygen-rich blood away from the heart and to other body parts are called arteries. From the left ventricle, the largest artery is called the aorta. It further splits into two smaller arteries called common iliac arteries. When oxygen-free blood enters the right atrium, it goes into the right ventricle, enters the lung for oxygen refill and the release of carbon dioxide, and then transfers it into the left chambers, ready for redistribution. About 5.6 liters of blood circulates the body, and three cardiac cycles are completed per minute. Initially, we measure blood pressure by examining the systole, which is the short period that occurs when the tricuspid and mitral valves close, and the diastole, which is a relatively long period when the aortic and pulmonary valves close. We can also examine pulse rates, beats per minute. The average adult's normal heart rate is at 72 beats per minute, while children normally yield higher heart rates. Our heartbeat is a manifestation of the heart's oxygen reloading process. Abnormal blood pressure, or beats per minute, are the earliest signs of a heart-related illness. The four primary threats to our heart are arrhythmias, which is bad wiring, coronary artery disease, which is basically clogged plumbing, valve disease, which is faulty mechanics, and heart failure, which is a weak pump. In some cases, genetics are to blame. There are implantable devices like pacemakers and defibrillators that can help in these kinds of situations. There's also medication and various procedures, but what we want to focus on today is what's preventable, and that's the vast majority of cases. We're talking high cholesterol, obesity, smoking, lethargy, and unhealthy eating habits. This is the stuff that causes plaque in our arteries. When plaque completely clogs the coronary arteries, or they can't deliver enough oxygen or fuel to the heart, a heart attack happens. When our heart has to work overtime to pump blood through those clogged arteries, it's strained and gets weak over time. The solution is the very same stuff we talk about nearly every week on Grateful Grains. It's eating healthy, getting active daily, it's maintaining a healthy weight, it's managing stress, it's quitting smoking and avoiding secondhand smoke at all costs. It's only drinking in moderation if you must drink. All sustained physical effort will aid in your cardiovascular health, and that includes lifting weights, so long as you're not taking long breaks between sets and exercises. You've got to keep that flow moving. You've got to keep that heart rate up. Long walks with a brisk pace, walking 10,000 steps a day, walking on an incline on the treadmill, using the stair stepper, 
swimming laps, spinning on a spin bike, even vigorous yoga. We're causing blood to flow. We're flushing plaque. We're strengthening our heart. We're keeping that extra weight off, which causes long-term strain on our heart. We're looking for foods that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids, fiber, monounsaturated fats, lycopene, vitamin K, which helps protect our arteries, antioxidants, which help protect against oxidative stress, potassium, and magnesium. We're drinking plenty of water. And as always, we're avoiding bad fats, we're cutting refined carbohydrates, fried foods, and added sugars. Pay close attention to how you're feeling. If you're experiencing chest pains, shortness of breath, swelling, fatigue, consistently irregular heartbeats, or cramps in your chest, see a doctor. If you're working your way out of a lifetime of bad decisions, if you're turning over a new leaf with health, we couldn't be more proud and happy for you. Those changes won't happen overnight. Now is a fantastic time to get very familiar with exactly where you're at, what you can expect of your body, and what challenges might be waiting in the shadows. The sooner we shine a light on them, the better chance we have of fending them off before they become a real danger. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We're having a conversation about the brain. The brain is the most complicated organ in the body. John Hopkins Medical summarizes that it's responsible for controlling thought, memory, emotion, touch, motor skills, vision, breathing, temperature, hunger, and every single regulatory process. It weighs about three pounds in the average adult. It's about 60% fat, and the remaining 40% is a combination of water, protein, carbohydrates, and salts. It contains blood vessels and nerves, including neurons and glial cells. In the brain, gray matter refers to the darker outer portion, while white matter describes the lighter inner section underneath. In the spinal cord, this order is reversed. The white matter is on the outside and the gray matter sits within. Gray matter is primarily composed of neuronsomas, the round central cell bodies, and the white matter is mostly made of axons, the long stems that connect the neurons together, wrapped in myelin, a protective coating. The different composition of neuron parts is why the two appear as separate shades on certain scans. Gray matter is primarily responsible for processing and interpreting information, while white matter transmits that information to other parts of the nervous system. The brain sends and receives chemical and electrical signals throughout the body. Different signals control different processes, and your brain interprets each. Some make you feel tired, for example, while others make you feel pain. Some messages are kept within the brain, while others are relayed through the spine and across the body's vast network of nerves to distant extremities. To do this, the central nervous system relies on billions of neurons, which are basically nerve cells. The most basic division of the brain is the cerebrum, the cerebellum, and the brainstem. The cerebral cortex is the shell, so to speak, of the cerebrum. An easy way to remember this is that cortex is Latin for bark, so the cerebral cortex is like the bark to our brain, which is the tree. The cerebrum is comprised of the frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, 
the occipital lobe, and the temporal lobe. Beyond that, we have the pituitary gland, the hypothalamus, the amygdala, the hippocampus, the penile gland, and finally, ventricles and the cerebrospinal fluid. The most common brain and neurological disorders include multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease and dementia, Parkinson's disease, epilepsy, stroke, and aneurysms, all of which can affect our memory and our ability to perform everyday tasks. These disorders can be the result of physical injuries, genetics, infections, environmental influences, lifestyle-related causes, and nutrition-related causes. What we want to discuss today are those things we have control over, those habits we can maintain in order to give ourselves the best shot at a long life as free of neurological decline as possible. Lo and behold, the answer is very similar to the answers regarding heart health, immune health, and even the health of our hair, skin, and nails. It's eating healthy, getting active daily, it's maintaining a healthy weight, it's managing stress, and it's only drinking in moderation if you must drink. And of course, quitting smoking and avoiding secondhand smoke at all costs. Modern health practitioners are beginning to call Alzheimer's disease type 3 diabetes due to its categorical similarities to other forms of diabetes. There's a lot of cutting-edge science saying that Alzheimer's is an entirely preventable disease, and it has a lot to do with diet. The Mayo Clinic now says that eating certain foods and avoiding others has been shown to slow brain aging by seven and a half years and lessen the chances of developing Alzheimer's disease. As far as nutrition goes, we're looking for magnesium, vitamin E, carotenoids, flavonoids, and omega-3 fatty acids. The Mayo Clinic suggests eating at least one serving of vegetables per day minimum. In addition, at least six servings of dark leafy greens per week, specifically kale, collards, and spinach. Two or more servings of berries per week, look specifically for berries high in flavonoids like strawberries and blueberries. Two handfuls of dry roasted or raw nuts per week, walnuts and pumpkin seeds are great. Cook with extra virgin olive oil and make fish a part of your weekly diet. Additionally, have yourself some dark chocolate, flaxseed oil, eggs, legumes, and turmeric, or more specifically, curcumin with black pepper. Something we want to call to focus today is loneliness. Loneliness is well known for its association with all kinds of degenerative diseases, including cognitive decline. Community and purpose are directly connected with longevity. Beyond health and nutrition, one of the very best things we can do for ourselves is to actively engage in our community, to seek out companionship, friendship, to invest in other people for every good reason in the book, but if nothing else, for our own well-being. And remember, new experiences are literally exercises for our brains. Love, gratitude, kindness, openness, mindfulness. Engaging with the world around us is as important to our well-being as a healthy diet and exercise. Like we've been saying all week, it's so important to have conversations with doctors if we're experiencing any sort of unusual ailments. When it comes to neurological issues, we want to keep an eye out for physical issues like headaches, blurry vision, fatigue, changes in behavior, numbness in the legs or arms, changes in coordination or balance, weakness, slurred speech, or tremors. It's a good idea to have a thorough conversation with a holistic practitioner, specifically what lifestyle changes we might employ to better our chances of avoiding disease across the board.
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're wrapping it up today, talking muscles. Muscle fibers are specialized cells with the predominant function of contraction. The contraction of muscles attached to bones or internal organs and blood vessels are what cause movement. Nearly all movement in the body is the result of muscular contraction. The integrated action of joints, bones, and skeletal muscles produces more obvious movements like walking and running, but skeletal muscles also produce more subtle movements that result in various facial expressions, eye movements, and respiration. In addition to movement, muscle constriction also fulfills some other important functions in the body, such as posture, joint stability, and heat production. The NIH explains posture, such as sitting and standing, is maintained as a result of muscle contraction. The skeletal muscles are continually making fine adjustments that hold the body in stationary positions. The tendons of many muscles extend over joints and in this way contribute to joint stability. This is particularly evident in the knee and shoulder joints, where muscle tendons are a major factor in stabilizing the joint. And heat production to maintain body temperature is an important byproduct of muscle metabolism. Nearly 85% of the heat produced in the body is the result of muscular contraction. Needless to say, taking care of our muscular health isn't just about the way we look. It's part of remaining mobile as we age. Maintaining flexibility is all about growing strength in a full range of motion. This kind of training, keeping one foot firmly planted in muscular well-being and one in flexibility, is known as functional fitness. We are not only aware of muscles like biceps, triceps, quads, and calves, but the range of motion we have in every single joint in our bodies. Injuries tend to happen when we push ourselves too far or lift too much weight in an unusual position. When we step outside of the basic squat or bench press and work to strengthen our bodies with deeper movement in multiple directions, we're helping to make ourselves injury-proof or something closer to it. As of now, there's not much that can be done to prevent neuromuscular disorders, which affect the nerves that control voluntary muscles and the nerves that communicate sensory information back to the brain. When the neurons become unhealthy or die, communication between the nervous system and the muscles break down. As a result, muscles weaken and waste away. Atrophy, myopathy, muscular dystrophy, and ALS are just a few. What we can do is take advantage of a properly functioning body when we have one. We develop a fitness routine which allows us to maintain mobility late in life, while also helping us avoid injuries like strain from everyday tasks like lifting groceries. As a general rule, it's ideal to be working every muscle two to three times per week. Some people work out only on weekdays. Some people work out every other day. Ideally, we're getting into the gym three days a week, but it really depends on how vigorous our exercise is. If we're only in the gym three days a week, we're probably looking at a full body workout to exhaustion each and every time we're at the gym. The more often we're able to go, the lighter our workouts can be. 
the fewer exercises per session. We also want at least one day of rest separating work on the same muscle group. So if we're working our biceps Monday, we want to wait until Wednesday to do that again. Keep in mind, if we do some heavy lifting with our biceps on Monday, it's going to be difficult to get the most out of a chest-focused exercise the following day because our biceps are integral to most chest exercises and they'll still be fatigued. This is why a lot of people alternate between lower body and upper body sessions. Circling back to last week's conversation, it's important to get very familiar with posture and the common stances in weightlifting. If we try to lift weight from the wrong position, we can tweak all kinds of things in our bodies. We want to know how to properly squat, hip hinge, vertical press, vertical pull, horizontal press, and horizontal pull. You can see any of these being properly performed by professionals on Instagram. But if you need some in-person coaching, set a training session to specifically learn these basics. Then if you feel comfortable, continue forward on your own from there. When it comes to maintaining flexibility, it's all about reaching the deepest point in these positions. It's a good idea to test our limits without any weight and slowly work up from there. If we're sticking to lower weights, we go higher in reps. If we're easily completing 15 reps with good form, it's time to move to a heavier weight. On the other hand, if we're lifting heavy and we can't comfortably make it to six reps, it's time to drop some weight. Either way, we wanna be finishing each set about three reps before exhaustion. As a general rule of thumb, stick to four sets per exercise, whether it's four sets of 12 at a lower weight or four sets of six at a heavy weight. As always, when it comes to your physical health, it's a good idea to talk to a doctor or a holistic health practitioner before making any sudden changes. Keep a close eye on muscular weakness, rigidity, loss of muscular control, numbness, tingling, twitching, and spasms. Remember, if you'd like to continue the conversation, we welcome you to reach out through Instagram at Good Risings, or you can find me at B McMuffin. And you can find me at Jacqueline M. Wood underscore one. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, remember, a better tomorrow starts with today. Good Risings is presented by Cavalry Audio.